Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. In 2013, the radio waves were dominated by the reggae fusion sounds of Toronto, Ontario's very own Magic. After years of their lead singer Nasri writing songs for pop stars, he formed a band for his biggest hit yet, Rude. This week, I'm joined by one of my oldest friends, Tony Hartman, to discuss if Magic brought the one-hit thunder, or if they're just human too. Hey, Tony. What's up, Chris? How you doing? Uh, um, I'm not that great. Uh, do you want to talk about Rude by Magic? I think we should absolutely talk about Rude by Magic in these trying times. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if someone's listening to this episode in the future, um, right now we are recording this episode while under what I guess you would call quarantine during the coronavirus, a.k.a. COVID-19 outbreak in the United States. I think we're at a peak of it at, at the moment. I believe that something like 4,000 people died yesterday. Jesus. So, you know, what what better time to talk about <laughs> Rude by Magic than uh, right now, which I say that jokingly, but in, in actuality, like as much as we should be vigilant and pay attention to what's going on, we also need to give our minds a little bit of a rest now and again. And this is certainly a way to do that. Right. And I mean, I think it'd it'd be remiss not to congratulate whoever is listening to this in the future. Like, congratulations. You made it. Hopefully we made it. And, you know, we can look back to, I don't know about better times, but simpler times when summer 2014, the biggest song in the world 
from what I recall, was was rude by Magic. Was it the summer of 2014? Because I have a lot of 2015 memories attached to this song, but that was maybe just the lasting effect of rude in my life that uh, that takes me back to to a better time. To uh, you know, there were a lot of things. I, I felt like throughout my whole life, I have um, always looked to the future as like, okay this next year is going to be the best year yet. And just things are just always getting better and better. And like, feel like for the first time that I'm looking back very fondly on years like 2014 and 2015 and being like, Oh, those were the good old days. Oh um, yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, you know, you know, I'm a 2015 head, yeah. probably a top three year easily, not just for me, probably for the world. I think, where 2014 suffered was, you know, culturally it was sandwiched and literally like it was sandwiched between 2013, which from a music standpoint had so much cool shit going on. And then you had obviously summer 2015. We're looking at The weekend. I Can't Feel My Face. We're looking at Trap Queen, which actually came out. Uh, I, I went down quite a rabbit hole of like all these singles from this time period. You had Trap Queen, you had Hotline Bling made its debut. Yeah. So, you know, 2013, yeah. you had, you know, Love Him or Hate Him, you had Yeezus, was was a cultural staple. You had, I think Pharrell had like 15, like top singles uh, across like multiple genres at that time. Summer 2014 was a very challenging time culturally. <laughs> like I remember so much about that time period, except like 2014 is kind of a wash for me. I remember like, the World Cup being really popular. I remember LeBron came back to Cleveland, which was kind of like all I needed culturally at that time. Right. But somehow through some back channel of culture, Rude by Magic was slipped in as like the song of the summer. And I, you know, I do remember, I think, texting you about it at the time and being like, hey, like you heard this song Rude that's on the radio. I don't <laughs> think you had at the time, but like, I was pretty pissed off that like it existed for one. And like, I, I remember the first time hearing it being like, okay, like, it, you know, it's really strange that like there's this new song in the radio that has this like, sort of like 311 energy to its intro and then gets kind of like, for lack of a better way to describe it, it felt very like mariachi cowboy as it goes. Like it feels like a poor man's UB40. Yeah. Or like, I don't know what this band sounds like, but what I always imagined Los Lonely Boys sounds like was like the chorus of this song. And I was just like, how is this happening? Like, you know, in tandem, I think some of the more popular stuff at that time was like you had uh, Chandelier by Sia, which is, I think, still an amazing song. Okay. Um, you And then somehow we also let Chris Brown, noted abuser Chris Brown had a smash single at the same time. So maybe like people were just looking at, at summer 2014 as such a wash from the music angle that like, it was just like, we need something so sterile that, and so uncontroversial that, you know, someone was able to sneak this, this single rude into the charts. But I did do some diligence even back then to like try to make sense of it through like industry connects and whatnot. And I do remember like someone pretty explicitly saying like, that was like they're, there was someone at whatever label they're on that's like, we don't have a summer smash like pop rock hit. We have this dude that has written for like Bieber and a few other people. He's he's got a band 
and they have this song, let's just make this happen. Because I think this is another case too, where like its predecessor trap queen, it actually came out probably like nine months before it, it hit. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And that, the song does the song sounds like a bunch of record label executives got in a room and like we need to make a summer song who could yeah. make this summer song where is it we're going to put a bunch of money behind it it's going to be the most it's it's going to it's going to really just cover all the bases of everything sterile about music <laughs> yeah but about music in like the early 2000s i think it's the timing that made the least sense to me because like i said that that first verse comes in and it's arguably pretty underwhelming it has like kind of like the the upstroke guitar and the least charismatic singing like he's a fine singer but like there's nothing memorable about his voice like it could be a 311 song and then you get like that like kind of orange count remember when like every band in the early 2000s had that like orange county drums and percussion snare sound yeah and then people thankfully just kind of stopped having it. Like, here's rude to bring it back. <laughs> and like, I, I'm surprised, like, you know, like if you break down the instrumentation, they didn't use like a real, like high treble, like Ernie Ball stingray bass or anything to like really bring it home to that time period. But breaking it down part by part, it doesn't make any sense. It, like you're saying, it does sound like a, a panel of like experts from, like major label music of the early 2000s sat around and like laid it out part by part like that. I think the pre-chorus, like the actual hook, the like why you got to be so rude part is kind of awesome. Yeah. And I think if the rest of the song was more like that, it could have worked. But then, it, yeah, it goes into that like mariachi cowboy chorus that feels more like a SNL skit than... A, a pop rock single at that time period to me. I mean, the, the, the thing which I talked about and on other, other episodes, I believe I talked about this, about the band SR 71 too, was like for me personally. And I know that like, basically it comes down to the sonic quality and sound of a song. It doesn't matter right. what, what the story behind the, the band is necessarily. It's just, how does this sound? How does this hit people's ears? How are people relating to this is what, matters to the average person but to me it's like who is this band <laughs> like and i'm not just talking about myself yeah sure i could talk about my own band and be like well we've been a band for 20 years and we don't have a hit song but what about the the thousands of other great bands that i know that have amazing songs who pour their heart and soul into them right. and then a song like this by magic <laughs> with an exclamation point of course absolutely yeah why do they get to have this giant song? Why, who, who spent all this money to make this happen? You know, I did my research on it because, yeah, I had heard that this was just like some producer who, you know, what, whatever had an in. And, but the band, I guess, actually is a band from, and they're from Toronto, the reggae capital of the world, of course. Yeah, of course. And, I do believe this was their first album. So yeah, that, that always kind of just like rubs me the wrong way. But that being said, I can appreciate a great song if it, you know, if it is a great song. Yeah. If it, and, but I think this inarguably, like I've, you know me, like I'm not a hater. I, I can usually, I, I think all tunes are usually created equal and I can find the value in just about any tune. 
this one was a struggle for me out the gate and I almost feel I almost feel guilty when you know this this program one hit thunder started coming together and obviously I was very interested in being a part of it and you know other episodes I've listened to like you brought up SR71 I think the the last one I listened to was uh shout out Matt for uh doing that interview uh with with the guy who was very clearly passionate about the song right now by SR71 <laughs> and the band's back catalog this is we just need to tell the heads out there that this is not the case with this song. I think we're, we're going to be very critical about rude and magic and, you know, it's, uh, I know it's, it's dark times. This might not really bring a glimmer of hope to your day, but we'll see. Well, the fact of the matter is that we're not here to, um, <laughs> we're not here to just sing the praises of awesome songs. That's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes the songs are just going to be amazing songs and the artists are going to be incredible. They just, uh, Matt just recently did an episode about Devo. Of course, you're going to rave about Devo. They were uh, innovative and wild, and they got they got huge off of us off of the song "Whip It," which is the most yeah. eccentric, artsy, strange hit single ever. And like, of course, like that band pushed the boundaries of like. But now we're talking about magic, and uh, this is just kind of the opposite of that. It's very contrived. I will I will say that. I did ironically embrace this song. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, yeah. At the time of this song's peak, I don't know if it was the song's peak or my peak, but at the time I was getting ready to get married and the song was, the song addresses a guy. So basically the story of the song is the guy is talking to the woman's father and saying that he's going to marry the girl whether the father approves of the man or not anyway yeah which i could imagine the father saying so you're so what you're telling me is you're you're a man from toronto in a reggae fusion band uh <laughs> and you want to marry my daughter <laughs> so regardless of my approval or not yeah like which right. i mean you might be about to jump into this but like let's let's get down to brass tacks and talk about how like it's kind of problematic in theme and like not progressive at all that like maybe if the story of the song was leading up to this woman being like you know what you guys are both kind of knuckleheads you don't get to decide my future i'm not going to marry you i'm not going to listen to my dad i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna go out and like found like this huge tech startup and and leave you guys in the dust but alas that's not what happens in the song right and 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 to get to take it even a step further he he he's gonna marry that girl I know a lot of I know a lot of women out there aren't going to be too thrilled about the fact that this full grown man is marrying a girl, <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. That's a that's a whole other conversation. Girl saying girl in songs is um, I don't see that ending anytime soon. And to be honest, like there's a lot of songs I like that say girl, so I I can't really get too down on that aspect of it. But especially yeah. worth noting uh, up to that point, like I I crunched the numbers here and. Our, our protagonist in the song Nazari is he was born in January, 1981, thus making him like basically your age and yes. a few years older, older than myself. So like definitely aged out of it being cute at that point to be like, you know what? I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to marry that girl. So, you know, that stuff aside, I, I, I will say that in my ironic embracing of this song, I was about to get married and had an engagement party <laughs> and 
I like I can't believe I did this, but I think it was just a nerve wracking situation. Not nerve, sure. just more like anxious and drank a whole lot. And to the point where I don't even remember this, but at some point I sang this song to my future father-in-law <laughs> wow. and uh, yeah. And, and I don't remember doing that. And yeah, apparently it was, it was funny, but I, I don't remember that, but that was, uh, you know, it was 2015, man. Times were different. We were all listening to Fetty Wap. It was definitely good times though. It was good times that I didn't know that I was living in. It was good old days that were happening in real time. And, uh, Absolutely. But I mean, I guess to paint it in a more positive light, like you realize you there was probably that boardroom of record executives when the song was coming together, like at like the whiteboard, like connecting the dots. Like, no, like this is seriously this is the kind of song that a guy can get super drunk at his engagement party <laughs> and sing to his in-laws. And like, you know, no one's going to like really look into it and dig up the layer of how the song's actually like a little bit problematic. I think, you know, that's what they're banking on. And, you know, you're probably one of hundreds, maybe thousands of guys that did the exact same thing. What I think is interesting about like that whole element of it, I've seen, you know, and by I've seen, I mean, like, obviously I read the Wikipedia for this song, the, the majority of the research I did about like the backstory to it. But there's, of course, criticism of it. There's praise, of course, but like the, a lot of the criticism is, of course, that like the theme of it. Uh, and I think Time Magazine actually called it the worst song of 2014, which is <laughs> pretty incredible. Like the total opposite of like being person of the year would be being proclaimed the worst song of a year. That's pretty awesome. But a lot of people said that it's like the underlying theme is interracial relationships and marriage. And as someone who married into Latinx culture, my experience was nothing like this. I'm happy to say like there, there was no, there's, there's a little, I think dig in this song that like, I don't relate to for that reason, but like I've kind of noticed where one of the lyrics is the dad says tough luck, my friend, which is pretty funny. But I have noticed that like, you know, living in like a predominantly uh, Latin American part of like Los Angeles for about six years now, I've noticed that my friend sometimes is like kind of like a little like diss that that people like to throw out. Like <laughs> or one time there was like a, like an older an older guy that had parked in front of our last apartment and like our landlord had haphazardly just like thrown up like a no parking sign and been like, yeah, no one's going to take your spot because I put up this sign. And like there was a moment where I got so sick of people taking that spot that I went outside and I just told the guy like, Hey, you know, like there's this no parking sign. So if, if you could respect that, like, and I'd like you've parked there a few times and he hit me with the, <laughs> my friend, this is a city street. <laughs> and technically like that sign is completely meaningless. And I was just like, damn it. He's completely right. And he hit me with the, my friend. So like, what, what do I do? And I feel, I feel like, you know, if I'm, if I'm Nazri here and I'm not respecting that, my friend, like that's, I think a little bit of, privilege gates here i don't know i don't really know the background of this band too much but basically they are a bunch of white guys right i don't know i mean if we really want to break that canadian obviously screams white first and foremost but toronto is an extremely diverse city true i think i think nasri is you know a very like 
has a rich cultural background. There's no doubt there. His appearance, it's very like Keanu Reeves or like Adam Driver kind of dude. Okay, well, I... as a front man, he's it's almost like he's he's the zoomies to Brandon Boyd's Pacific Sunwear, if that makes sense. Okay, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I I just uh, I was wondering more about the aspect of I I believe you told me that this. Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you tell me this is one of the biggest reggae songs of all time? Yeah. I went back to research that a little more, and it's only the second reggae song to top the Billboard Hot Digital charts. The only other one was our boy Sean Kingston with Beautiful Girls in 2007. Such a jam. Absolutely. But also opens up another like box of it being problematic to where it's like, yeah, why do these guys get to chart as reggae? And fast forward, you got Lil Nas X a few years later when Billboard's like, nope, not a country song. Shut it down. Right. So it's like, Billboard, for real, you're going to let these Canadian fellas chart handsomely as a reggae track. And then you're going to shut down Lil Nas X years later. It's like something smells up to me. I can't really pull the cultural appropriation card on magic because I think music's music. And if you're inspired by something and and you want to play it, that's great. As long as you're, you know, paying respect to where it came from. And it's not there. It's, it's honestly, it's not the band's fault. If the song was big, like that, they're not going to be like, no, we can't do like, that's not like on them. You know, I like reggae. I played reggae. I, I, I think, I think it's, it's cool style of music. You have actually played, performed reggae. I feel oh, like yeah. I've, I've known you as a musician for over 20 years now, and I, I don't recall. Well, when I say that, definitely at band practice, definitely definitely have little influences of it in punchline songs, for sure. Like, definitely ska and reggae influences like crazy. I don't think that that's a bad thing. You know, I don't think it's bad that sublime played reggae music, you know, like, like you're saying, I don't think, I don't think it's on magic that they would chart in, in reggae. And that's not really that important, I guess, in the, in the grand scheme of things, but you're right. When it, when then Lil Nas X comes along and uh, <laughs> there's an issue about him charting in country music, then that, that does seem like that's an issue, but uh, I don't know. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. I'm a busy guy, and getting to eat restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. 
So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50, the words one hit and the number 50 that is, at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. Do you think if you really, if you really peeled back the layers, there was like a moment in Toronto where like magic was that band practice and you know, maybe they were a pop punk band previously and just sort of like someone started dicking around a little bit on, on the guitar playing so much upstroke guitar, you know, the, the drummer kind of hits it. Uh, Reggae has that distinct like drum fill where it sounds like someone just dropped a trash can and somehow it sounds really cool. So like maybe someone did something like that. And it was like that part in like every music bio pick where like the big song comes together and someone just like, what was that? And they like, like, I don't know. I was just, you know, kind of messing around. Like I was trying to move this trash can, but they're just like, do it again. And that's how like rude came to fruition. Like, Oh no, like we're, we're reggae now. Like we, we figured it out. Now we're, we're going to be fucking huge. Yeah. I, I, I think that maybe it was possibly it was, Hey, music comes around in cycles it's been 20 years since sublime Santeria or whatever, you know? Right. So now it's time for this again. And you know, it, it doesn't, it seems it's, we could be way off, but it seems very contrived. It seems whatever, uh, uh, just saying that from the the sound of the song. And then I listened to the rest of the album. There's about four or five roods on it. (laughs) Yeah. Like songs that are like that. There are some like more punk songs on it. But Rude's definitely interesting. This the standout song on it. I listened to it, and it's it's if it was on, it wasn't like unbearable or whatever. It's it's fine. It's fine. It sounds sonically, it sounds good. It's, the musicianship's fine, like you said. Like the the dude's perfectly good singer. Definitely lacks any sort of emotion or whatever. It's more just like totally very safe music. Um, not pushing any boundaries, just kind of like, oh, this sounds good. And I wouldn't necessarily drag the band because of that, you know. But I will, when I looked into them some more, I will drag them because of what I sent you earlier today, which was what I believe is their most recent oh, yeah. single, which is called, the name of the song is Hashtag Sunday Fun Day. Yeah. And I, I will say that, it's probably the worst song I've heard in 2020. I'm trying to think if I've heard if I've heard a worse song, but it is the epitome of let's try to take a phrase that people say and turn it into a, a total piece of trash song and see if we can like find a way for people to use it in like commercials for pizza rolls or something. Like it is yeah. just <laughs> straight garbage. It is like, it is, it is, yeah. There's no way that if the members of Rude were here right now, that they could win an argument with me about like there being some sort of like meaning to that song or so, or, or what's good about that song. There's, there's nothing good about it. Um, no, you're, al- it, you're it- alarmingly accurate in your take on it. And mind you, you sent me that playlist or you sent me that song specifically. I'd listened to the playlist as it was assembled over the past couple months, like once and then revisited this morning. But like that song was the first thing I experienced this morning. I was like, Oh my God, like this, 
you're talking about, like, well, we can, you know, you can pick parts of Root out that, like, work and are, are inviting. This is truly Sunday, hashtag Sunday Fun Day is a bottom five song I think I've ever heard in my life. And this is coming from someone, like I said, all tunes bring something to the table. All tunes can be good. This is not one of those tunes. Can I read you a few lyrics from it? Please. Another manic Monday, praying for the week to go by, while Jimmy's at the golf course, smoking on a Cuban delight. Now money, money, we all gotta make it, yeah. But right now, I could use a vacation. I wish it was a Sunday, Sunday fun day, a Monday to Monday, Sunday fun day. I wish it was Sunday, Sunday fun day, a Monday to Monday, Sunday fun day. It's like the equivalent of the offspring making like the uh, pretty fly for a white guy or why don't you get a job, except minus the credibility that the offspring had as being like an independent skate punk band. This band just was, this band was a corporate whatever put together thing from a record label that millions of dollars are put behind and then in the end what they had to do was make sunday fun day yeah this song is frustrating to me on quite a few levels everything you pointed out plus things so this was their follow-up single in 2015 that's kind of like the okay we did it last year we're gonna do it again so they're putting this out there in into the you know into the musical atmosphere um, I'd never heard it until this playlist. However, I can't help but think that, you know, this is 2015, we're going into the most insane and, you know, like what will go down as like the most unfortunate and scary election cycle of all time. Magic releases this song that's basically about like, hey, working sucks. Like, I just want to be on vacation all the time. You guys, so wait, you're, you're. <laughs> You're arming pundits on both sides to be like, you have this insanely progressive candidate in Bernie Sanders. It's so easy to point a finger at the socialist movement. Like, if we allow this to happen, if this happens, you're going to have these chain wallet wearing, wide rail cords, pants wearing guys just lounging about, listening to magic, not doing any work. And, you know, you think things are all fine and good in Canada. Well, Canada made this song. And, you know, if this is what you want, socialism, this song is what you're going to get. And I can't help but think we're still paying for that to this day. That was like one of the first things that came to mind when I listened to that song this morning. Do you think that it's possible that Republicans were the ones who put the money into trying to promote magic in Sunday Funday? I mean, I don't think it's just possible. I think at this point it's very likely. I never even thought about that before. Yeah. I mean, I think we're waking up the audience to uh, quite an issue here that that Sunday Funday created. My mind is blown at the moment, actually. Uh, Yeah, but I I can't really imagine that a song like Sunday Funday will ever happen again. Or for that matter, is a song like Rude going to happen again now that we're living we're living in the the current and and then maybe by the time someone's listening is hopefully living in the post coronavirus world where things are going to be a lot different and you know people are going to have been going have gone through and be going through a lot of dark times i just don't think a song like sunday fun day is going to happen i don't even know if will will you still have songs that start with a hashtag will you still will reggae come back around again i don't know if these kind of things can happen in 
a post-coronavirus world. And I'm I'm looking forward to the artists that are going to make music that was inspired by what's happening or was written while, you know, this world where, you know, for all we know, things could ne- never be the same again. At the, while we're recording this, I don't, I don't know. I just th- see insanity. Yeah. I, I can't believe we're already to the point where uh, there's a backlash of people that just are basically like, a saying that the virus is fake you knew that was going to happen so fast oh uh, absolutely yeah you know or b saying that you know well if it's going to cost a million two million people well that's what we got to do because basically gotta... tough luck my friend right <laughs> that's that's where we're at you know so uh I'm looking yeah we are to... we're staring down the barrel of a whole lot of tough luck my friends i hope it doesn't go that route um and I, but I could see like there's going to be such a like mass rush to get back to to quote unquote normal, which obviously wasn't so great anyway. Um, that you know there could be the Sunday fun days and roots that are pumped down our throat to just be like, remember everything's great again. Like get out there, spend money. You know what I mean? Like so, uh, it could go one of two ways. Like everything could be like like kind of post nine eleven. Like things like imagery music like everything was kind of somber for a bit i kind of feel like there's going to be gatekeepers uh, in the entertainment at this point it's like no none of that like we need to remind people that like everything is totally cool and normal and for that here is you know a baker's dozens of roots as your summer (laughs) singles and and for that here is still rude by magic the sequel oh man uh (laughs) if we could be so lucky you know as we move more and more into this dystopian orwellian world i could see that yeah the people that have the money and are in control who for some reason you know while the world is suffering for some reason they make money then those people just making it so yeah everything's sunshiny everything is everything is great here's this here's some more reggae here's some more it's not actual reggae that with political protest or uh you know emotion or heart this is uh, reggae by Canadians, uh, and it's it's about um, asking permission to leave your job early to go to right. happy hour. It's called hashtag happy hour. <laughs> so, yeah. So that could be where we're headed, and that is scary. That is scary. I hope that artists will continue to push the boundaries. As we're recording this yesterday, that new Fiona Apple came out. It's I feel like it's an album that pushed the boundaries. It's like absolutely wild yeah. and. It's and and I hope that we're gonna hear a lot more Fiona's and a lot less Magics as we move forward. Do I did some some research on on Rude on the Genius.com page, hmm. and it does call out like I guess Ryan Seacrest had interviewed our hero Nazari about the song at like the peak of its popularity and kind of asked like so what happened like what you know what's the follow up like you you asked. You, you know, you basically went against his father's wishes, like kind of took it as like it's it's a true story, which, as you know, many songs are not. Nazari responded, you know, there is no part one or part two. It was kind of a crazy idea that ran through my head. The song actually started off really dark. It's like, why you got to be so rude? I was in a fight with a girlfriend. So then we ended up flipping it and being like, eh, let's make it about some dad. I thought that so it's but like, so like I was saying like I think the 
coolest part of the song is the hook, the why you gotta be so rude part. Apparently somewhere there is a very dark version of this song that <laughs> that didn't see the light of day that I think we there could be a whole nother like podcast or like true crime type series of uncovering the original dark dark, dark of rude. rude. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna I, I would love to I would love to hear dark rude. It's not reggae, but it's actually um it's a <laughs> What what's the, what style like, of music is, is dark rude? Yeah, is it like a like it could be anything from like the national, right? Or like it like could real, be shoegazy. Like <laughs> yeah, like real downtrodden, like minor key, or like yeah. shoegaze, or like the maybe like the Johnny Cash hurt cover. Oh yeah, I have to assume it was like that. I would love to hear dark rude. If any if anyone out there in the biz, we're we're putting out a call to action. Nobody knows what's gonna happen in the next few weeks, let alone months. If anyone out there at any like major label publisher can unlock dark rude, this is the time to do it. That Nasri, if you're listening, will promise to do, if you can supply us with dark rude for an episode, we will walk back all of the bad things we've said about rude and about Sunday fun day. We'll give you your proper credit and due. you can correct us every step of the way, but we want to hear dark rude. But what if what if Dark Root is too messed up? Like and actually it's like it's very detrimental for society for Dark Root to actually be unleashed into the world. Yeah. It's incredibly possible. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't yeah, maybe Dark Root just went we went too dark. I can see that. So I th- I think it's worth like I as you know for five, what 5 years now I've tried to like uncover some stones about Root and I wouldn't say I've been successful. I think like obviously the most interesting thing is this finding on the readily available genius.com that like rude has like a dark version, but you know, I did reach out to some people that I thought might have some industry knowledge about it. (laughs) I do want to share this feedback from, from my friend uh, Nick, who was at beats radio at the time, which building the project like beats was acquired by Apple and this product he was building would become Apple music, which is pretty interesting. And his feedback here actually really backs up. I think that the world where there is a dark root out there somewhere, because I, I texted him. I was like, Hey, like, you remember how I was really concerned about that song rude when it first came out? He's like, yeah, of course. And he, I remember him telling me that he was working up in, the Bay area, like the main Apple headquarters at the time. And apparently magic came to Apple and performed rude in the parking lot. So I was like, yeah, like, can you like remind me about that? He said, and he responded, this was like two months ago. He said, yeah, I'm with my beats friends right now. He said, they definitely played the song in the parking lot at Apple and did a spoken word intro for over five minutes about the true meaning of the song. It was very weird definitely not just like a band coming to Apple and playing in the parking lot. To me, that kind of seemed like Nasri's in a place where the song's blowing up. He's at the biggest corporation in the world performing. And and he's just like, Hey guys, just give me some time to talk about like the true meaning of the song. And unfortunately, I I mean, maybe we can follow this up with a YouTube deep dive to see if there's any footage out there, but you know, it's entirely possible. The music industry has had it scrubbed from existence. Yeah. I mean, and and it's, it is, it is funny that that he wanted to do the spoken word spoken word intro about what the song's about, considering a the 
everyone knows exactly what the song's about yeah. because you can hear the vocals <laughs> very clearly and it yeah. is very obvious and b apparently the song is in no way shape or form a true story <laughs> Yeah, so, it, there's zero nuance to what the song is about. So maybe it was Nasri being like, hey, like, you know, everybody thinks it's just this semi-problematic story about like a woman being a possession. That's not the case. Please, Apple employees, give me, you know, at least twice the amount of time it would take to perform the song to explain it to everyone. Um, I think right. we that's could really, finding that could be a key to finding Dark Rude for sure. Uh, another funny piece of feedback that is in no way related to the song I got is I texted my boy Jordan last night just to let him know I was going to be talking some rude. And his response was, one of the members of Magic, the bass player, I think, is my friend's landlord. I, th I just thought it was funny that like rude amounted to not just L.A. landlord money, but L.A. landlord money for the bassist. Like, think about that. Right. That's like big, like not even like Nazari could have an island. That's the kind of thing that if you want your music to be taken seriously or if you want people to have like an emotional attachment to your music, there's nothing wrong with being a landlord, but maybe not let people find that out because, yeah, I, I mean, I honestly, if someone's in a position in their life where they're a landlord, I, I don't know. I might not want to, I might not think I could re relate to them too much because they're a landlord in LA and I'm That's assuming semi-successful rock band landlord culture is like a pretty funny thing in and of itself. Do you know that band waves who I think they might've been on fueled by ramen, but like that dude is very controversial band landlord to where like his band's Instagram account was like, obviously music related show related. And he like got like into like, the meme world a little bit and then he just started posting like my new property in silver lake is now available only 3500 dollars a month for one bedroom and people are like bro come on like yikes you're using your band real estate to like basically <laughs> like whitewash an entire neighborhood whereas i i do feel confident that the bassist from from magic is probably a little more low-key about it i did reach out to see and I think this is pretty important. Um, it's it's so far gone unanswered, but I want to know if the dude from Magic is charging rent during the pandemic, uh, which wow. is a whole other controversy. Because if he's not, he's you know I'd say he's a pretty good landlord. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that it, that would be so interesting to find out. I'll report back. That that sounds great. I'm sure everyone's going to want to know, and that that could really if that could really influence my opinion of Magic. I'll, yeah. I'll be honest about that. But anyway, I think I think we've dove deep in, into magic. We always like to say whether we think the song brought the one hit thunder or if it was a one hit blunder. And this is a tough one. This this is yeah. This is a really I'm I'm very torn on this. You ready for mine? Yeah. I think it's a one hit wonder, man. Do you think credit, you mean cred where creds do? I think you, it, you thought you thought it brought the one hit thunder. You mean yes, it's most definitely a one hit wonder. Yeah, but you think it's yeah, the one hit. Yeah, thunder. I'm I'm playing the thunder card on this one, which I didn't think I'd end up at that point going into this, but I think it, in its own really specific way, kind of rules. I, despite all, the shit that we've talked, I will say that 
the song has we've been talking about this song for years yeah like we've we've been <laughs> we've always brought this song up like you said the chorus is good i mean there's no getting around when something sounds good yeah i definitely hear songs regularly that where i can't even listen to it you know yeah. like it's just like oh this is if it's on i'm fine with it being on you know and and i might not intentionally put it on but uh you know i'm going to have to agree that despite all the problems with this song i i'm talking everything i'm still going to have to go one hit thunder I, yeah I, I mean yeah when it comes on be it on the radio in the car or in like a chipotle restaurant or something it it still feels like Christmas morning, man. In a surprising turn of events, we have scored this song one hit thunder. <laughs> uh, but absolutely, completely nothing more than that. It will... a gi- with a giant asterisk also. Yeah. Like... yeah they, they sh- after releasing hashtag Sunday Fun Day, they don't really deserve that title. Mm, but that no. it, that is not the song that we're talking about in this episode. We're talking about Rude and rude as its own thing as a sound that exists is a a pretty okay sound congratulations magic as for us i think the next steps is to find uncover dark rude and hope everything shakes out that we can share it with the world thanks tony for uh coming on this episode you've been a great guest and i hope that uh you know we can all um get through this terrible disease and and hopefully uh we could see each other in person again because right now seeing people in person is not an option absolutely i I hope to be listening to rude irl with you in the next two years at least yeah that'd be cool This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is produced by Matt Kelly as part of the Geekscape Network and hosted by Christopher Falios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah. In honor of Chris's reggae-inspired roots, we're listening to Why from Punchline's first album, How to Get Kicked Out of the Mall. Good luck finding a copy of that, but you can visit punchlion.com for updates as well as news, merch, and future tour dates. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com and make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on all your favorite podcasting apps. Stay safe out there, and we'll be back next week with another episode of One Hit Thunder. listening to the Geekscape Network. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. 
I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.